Well, I'm excited to launch into a new year of life and ministry together as a church, and with that, launch into a new study of another book of God's Word. And as you know, we recently studied a, or finished up a, about a two and a half, three year study through the book of the Gospel, or the Gospel of John. And as I was thinking and praying about what would be a good book to go to next, um, that's a big decision, by the way, because typically we end up camping out in a book for a while as a church, and it really impacts and influences who we are as Christians and who we are as a church. And so uh, it really uh, affects who we are in so many ways. The, 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 the pulpit, as one of my good friends Rick Collins said, is the rudder of the church. The, the, what happens from this thing right here it really directs uh, the course of the church. And so these decisions about what books of the Bible that we, we cover at, at certain times and are, are significant decisions. And so as I was thinking and praying, as we're wrapping up uh, the Gospel of John, where we should go next, uh, the Lord brought to my mind the book of Daniel. Uh, as we consider uh, where we are at as a society, uh, particularly in our country, as we look forward to, uh, or maybe dread, uh, this year's election, um, maybe that's a better way to say it at this point, um, but there's a lot going on, things that have happened this past year uh, in, our, in our country, uh, things that we uh, will see happen this coming year. Uh, our culture is rapidly changing, and we need to know how to stand firm uh, and to stand up and to be people of integrity in the midst of an ungodly culture. I think Daniel is a great example of that. But also, I think there's an intensified interest in what is happening in our world, and are we getting closer to the return of Christ? And of course, Daniel will give us an opportunity to address uh, those issues. Uh, of course, the first half is all about Daniel and his friends, um, and then the latter half is all about prophecy and uh, what revelation is to the New Testament, the book of Daniel is to the Old Testament. And we've really never tackled um, any uh, significant portion of God's Word dealing with prophecy uh, together on Sunday morning, and so I think it's, 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 it's high time for that, and, and the season is right uh, for us to, to address some of those end times issues. Um, I did, a, did some quick math yesterday, and uh, in the 15, 16 years or so that we've been doing this thing called Lakeside Bible Church, I've had the privilege of teaching through 19 books of the Bible. Uh, 10 in the New Testament, 9 in the Old Testament. However, I've never taught an Old Testament book on Sunday morning. All the Old Testament books I've taught through have been on Wednesday night. And I thought, wow, we need to, we need to fix that. We need to change that. And so really excited about diving into the book of, of Daniel uh, next Sunday. Uh, I figured there would be still people traveling, coming back into town. I wanted to make sure everybody was back and, and uh, in the saddle and uh, so we could all start together. And so uh, I'd encourage you this week maybe to read through the book of Daniel. Uh, probably wouldn't take you uh, less than an hour to, to cover those chapters and, uh, and just to kind of get it in your mind and your heart, what we're going to be studying together, what I would assume to be the majority of this winter, spring semester, probably through May. Uh, maybe 14, 15 messages total uh, through the book of Daniel. And, uh, and so I'm excited uh, to, to, to teach through that book and see what the Lord will 
teach us together. So I'd appreciate your prayers for me as I prepare and uh, as I teach and, and pray that God will really use this book to have a huge impact uh, in the life, uh, in all of our lives and particularly in the life of our church. But this morning, uh, what I thought would serve as a, as a good introduction or appropriate uh, introduction to our series uh, in the book of Daniel is to talk about the importance of the Old Testament and why we need the Old Testament. And I've titled this message this morning, The Bible That Jesus Read. Not uh, original to me. There's a book by Philip Yancey uh, titled that same title, The Bible Jesus Read, Why the Old Testament Matters. Thought it was too good to try to reinvent the wheel, man. Just rip off that title. Why not, right? It's free country. But I don't want to be plagiarizing, so I'm telling you where I got it from, right? But back in the second century, there was a heretic named Marcion who believed that the God of the Old Testament was different from the God of the New Testament. I'm not sure if you ever thought that as you've read the Old Testament and compared what you read in the New Testament that you thought, hey, is there like two different gods here or what's going on? He likened the God of the Old Testament to a harsh, cruel, mean judge in contrast to the God portrayed in the New Testament as a gracious, merciful, loving Savior. And so consequently, Marcion rejected the Old Testament as the Word of God and maintained that any references to the Old Testament in the New Testament should be excluded from the Bible. You just, just tear them out. And even though his views were condemned and rejected, I think his dark shadow still looms over the church today. And even though most Christians today would join the ancient church in rejecting Marcion's views on the Old Testament and would affirm its rightful place in the canon, we rarely read and study the Old Testament and thereby unintentionally do what Marcion advocated. It's as if we've excluded the Old Testament from our Bibles. I think the Old Testament is undeniably the most frequently overlooked and neglected part of the Bible in the church today. And I think the clearest evidence of that is the distressing absence of the Old Testament from most modern preaching. Most pastors would adamantly defend the authenticity and the authority of the Old Testament, but few regularly preach it. In fact, fewer than 20% of the sermons that the average church member hears are based on an Old Testament text. Walt Kaiser wrote a great book called Preaching and Teaching the Old Testament. In it, he says this, quote, It is possible to attend some churches for months without ever hearing a sermon from the Older Testament, which represents well over three-fourths of what our Lord has had to say to us. This vacuum is unconscionable for those who claim that the whole Bible is the authoritative word of God to mankind. And as a result of this vacuum, the, the Old Testament has been unwittingly relegated to a secondary status in the minds of many believers. For some, the Old Testament has become a, a second-class citizen, the proverbial red-headed stepchild within the church. There's JV and then there's varsity. Old Testament, that's JV. But the New Testament, that's varsity. 
And, and few Christians seem to understand the real value of the Old Testament for their lives. And I think the great tragedy of all this can be brought into focus when you consider the fact that, that as was previously mentioned, the Old Testament constitutes over three-quarters of the Bible. That means that 75% of the Bible is either being neglected, avoided, or completely ignored by those who claim to believe in it as a basis of faith and a standard for practice. I came across an interesting quote by Gleason Archer in a Decision magazine back in 1972. He said this, quote, Curious to observe and hard to understand is the relative neglect of the Old Testament by Christians in our day as Sunday after Sunday, the average church attendant in the average evangelical Bible-believing church hears no message at all from the Hebrew Scriptures. And he went on to pose this penetrating question to, to pastors like myself. He said, quote, How can Christian pastors hope to feed their flock on a well-balanced spiritual diet if they completely neglect the 39 books of Holy Scripture on which Christ and all the New Testament authors receive their own spiritual nourishment? The Old Testament was truly the Bible that Jesus read. Well, not much has changed in the last 35 years from that statement back in 1972. Churches and pastors continue to neglect the Old Testament at the cost of their own spiritual health and growth. Well, I was thankful when I did the math that there was a pretty even balance in my teaching over the last 15, 16 years between the Old and the New Testaments. However, I thought we need to get it, the Old Testament on Sunday morning. Because uh, Wednesday nights have been uh, relatively small in attendance over the years, and uh, maybe a quarter or a third of the church has been able to be there, and so you've not been exposed to necessarily all those uh, books that we went through. In fact, this morning I started teaching uh, through the book of Lamentations with the students, so I'm on an Old Testament kick right now, but uh, I'm the new youth pastor. I was missing student ministry, so I thought, well, I'll just, we'll get rid of Billy, you know, and then I can be a student pastor again. No, uh, just to hold him over a little bit. So we're going to have some fun in the book of Lamentations. You're like, fun in Lamentations? What's your problem? You're like, want to depress our kids? Well, we learned this morning that that book is the most hope-filled book in the whole Bible. Ironically, the saddest book in the Bible is the most hope-filled book. And so we're looking at that uh, with the students here through the month of January, but the, the point is, I, uh, this morning, I just, I just want to explain why we need the Old Testament, and hopefully you grabbed a note sheet when you came in uh, this morning, and you see that this morning, what we're going to see, what we're going to look at is five compelling reasons why the Old Testament is so important to the life of every church and to the life of every Christian. And I want us to walk away this morning realizing that, that the Old Testament is essential for us to be well-nourished and to have a well-balanced diet of teaching from both the Old and the New Testaments. And so let me give you these, these five compelling reasons why we need the Old Testament. First of all, the Old Testament is powerful. 
the Old Testament is powerful. Or stated in other ways, the Old Testament is the Word of God. And we know that the Word of God is powerful. And so if the Old Testament is the Word of God, we know the Old Testament is powerful. And through the writers of the Old Testament, God himself testified to the authority and the efficacy or power of his word. In Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 9, it says, The Lord stretched out his hand and touched my mouth, and the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. Clear statement that the Old Testament is the very words of God, that what Jeremiah said was actually what God was saying. In Jeremiah chapter 5, verse 19, we see the result of the fact that this was not just a man's words, but these were God's words. In Jeremiah chapter 5, verse 19, uh, excuse me, 5, 14, it says, Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of hosts, because you have spoken this word, behold, I am making my words in your mouth fire, and this people would, and it will consume them. If it was just your words, your thoughts, your opinions, they could blow you off. But because it's my word in you, it will blow them away. Later on in Jeremiah 23, verse 29, he continues this idea of the word being like a fire. Is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer which shatters a rock? Again, talking about the authority, the efficacy, the power of God's word. And then, of course, there's Isaiah chapter 55, uh, verse 10. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there without watering the earth and making it bear and sprout and furnishing seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so will my word be which goes forth from my mouth. It will not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. And so we see, even in the Old Testament, these references to the authority and efficacy of the Old Testament scriptures. Now, the New Testament writers frequently refer to the Old Testament as scripture. When recording how Jesus used the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms to show his disciples that he was the Messiah, Luke referred to these as scripture. Luke chapter 24, verse 27, then beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. Verse 32, they said to one another, were not our hearts burning with us while he was speaking to us on the road, while he was explaining the scriptures to us? Verse 44, these are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you and all things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled, then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. So the gospel writers referred to the Old Testament as scripture. Paul was referring to the Old Testament when he testified to the Ephesian elders in Acts 20, 20, that he had not shrunk from declaring to them, what? The whole counsel of God, anything that was spiritually profitable and that he had faithfully declared to them, uh, the, the whole counsel of God. This is Acts 20, Verse 20, in Romans chapter 3, Paul refers to the things that he taught as the oracles of God. Chapter 3, verse 1, 
excuse me, verse 2, first of all, that they were entrusted with the oracles of God. He refers to the Old Testament as the oracles of God. In, in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 13, he exhorted Timothy to, to give attention to the public reading of Scripture. And by the way, the only Scripture that Timothy had at that time was what? The Old Testament. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, we see... That from childhood you've known the sacred writings, which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. The only scripture, again, that would have come to mind, Timothy's mind, was he, when he was receiving these encouragements, these exhortations, these commands from Paul, was the Old Testament. And so based on 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17, we can conclude that God's people cannot be adequately equipped to live a godly life unless they're instructed and trained from the Old Testament along with the New Testament. The writer of Hebrews included more references to the Old Testament than any other New Testament book. And he was obviously referring to the Old Testament when he wrote this in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, for the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. That wasn't referring to the New Testament primarily or at the time. It does obviously apply today, but he was speaking specifically of the Old Testament scriptures. Peter was referring to the Old Testament scriptures when he clarified the doctrine of inspiration. If you remember in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 20, he says, but know this, first of all, that no prophecy of scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. And so whenever the term scripture or the scriptures is used in the New Testament, it almost always refers to the Old Testament. In other words, all the verses in the New Testament that are used to prove the authority and the sufficiency of scripture originally applied to what? The Old Testament. The Old Testament was the Bible of the early church. And they considered it to be the final authority for all things. They tested everything they heard from Jesus and his apostles against what was written in the Old Testament. We know that from Acts chapter 17 and what Luke said about the people in Berea. Now these were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica, for they received the word with great eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. And so as 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 the New Testament believers were getting New Testament revelation, they were comparing it to the Old Testament to make sure it matched up, it lined up with what God, what God had already said. And so all that to say, since the Old Testament is clearly considered Scripture or the Word of God, it needs to be preached and listened to as the Word of God. And so to neglect the Old Testament is to miss out on, again, three quarters of God's powerful, life-changing truth. And we as God's people can never be all that He wants us to be if we don't know all that He wants us to know. And there's a lot that He wants us to know between Genesis and Malachi. 
not just Matthew to Revelation. And so, first of all, the, the Old Testament is... What? I forgot. Powerful. powerful, thank you. Didn't get much sleep last night. The Old Testament is powerful. Secondly, the Old Testament is what? Foundational. It's foundational. The Old Testament serves as the foundation for the New Testament. Again, these are obvious points for most of you, I'm sure. But it is impossible for us to understand the New Testament without an understanding of the Old Testament. Someone suggested that trying to understand the New Testament without a solid diet of the Old Testament is like enrolling in a foreign language class two-thirds of the way through the semester. Can you imagine that? You'd hear the same lessons as the rest of the class. Those words, however, would have little meaning to you because you didn't receive the foundational material on which the later lessons are based. Another way to look at it is the... That a sequel, a movie sequel, for example, doesn't make sense unless you've watched the original movie. Can you imagine watching the new Star Wars movie without watching any of the old Star Wars movies? You'd be like, why are they cheering for this old guy in this hairy ape thing when he comes on screen? Well, you had to have seen all the other movies to know... There's Han Solo and Chewbacca. Yeah. Right? But, but seriously, if you, if you have not seen any of the, the, the prequels, if you will, you, you would have no clue what the movie was about, and you'd be irritating the people next to you because, like, hey, who's that? Why did they do that? What is that all about? Is that really Aunt Leia? What, what is going on here? Why is everybody killing their dads? just doesn't make sense, Right? A more, more spiritual example of how the Old Testament is foundational is the Taliabu story. Anybody familiar with the Taliabu story? Okay. No one's familiar with the Taliabu story. Okay. Homework assignment. Go home, go onto YouTube, and type in Taliabu story. Don't worry how to spell it, it'll, it'll spell it for you. Taliabu story. There's a little four part video that tells you this amazing story of this people group living on this remote island in Indonesia where a couple of missionaries went in years ago. This is New Tribe's mission years ago. And they took months to teach, to, number one, to learn a language. And then to teach people the gospel, teach these people the gospel. They'd never been exposed to, to the word of God at all. And so they had to learn language. And then they began teaching them the story of the Bible. And they laid the foundation. For months, they laid the foundation, teaching them the Old Testament. And never once talked about Jesus or the cross. And for months, they ta- told them the story of the Old Testament and God's people and this promise of a Savior. And, and then they finally got to the New Testament. And they told the story of, of Jesus. And after having laid this foundation of the Old Testament and how there was this Passover lamb and, and how Jesus was the Passover lamb and, and, it's, and, and, and when Jesus died, they just all, the, the whole tribe just wept. And then when they found out about the resurrection, uh, they rejoiced. And in one day, over a hundred of them got saved as they listened to the gospel. The whole point was that before they ever got to the New Testament, they spent months building the foundation, teaching this tribe the, the Old Testament. A fascinating story. I'd encourage you to, to, to check it out and, and watch it. And uh, it, just one of the, one of the greatest uh, missionary stories 
in our modern times of, of, of a revival that broke out in, in this uh, remote tribe in Indonesia. Again, all that to say, the, the New Testament is the sequel to the Old Testament. The, the story of God's redemption for mankind begins with the creation, with the fall, the original promise of a Savior from sin in Genesis 3.15 and, and the setting apart of the nation of Israel as God's chosen people through whom this Savior would come and the countless times that God intervened to deliver His rebellious people and the, the myriad of prophecies and examples and illustrations and symbols and types all pointing to the coming of this promised Savior, the Messiah. And so when you finish reading the Old Testament, it, it begs for a sequel. You've ever been there at the, at the end of a movie and you're like, oh man, there's, they left that open, right? They, they, they left that open to a sequel. And then sometimes you even actually sit there through all the credits to see if there's any little hint, right? Some, some outtakes or something at the very end that they're going to kind of give you a hint about what's, what's next. And God literally left his people hanging for 400 years, waiting for the rest of the story. That white space between Malachi and Matthew, that's called the 400 silent years. 400 years that God said nothing. And you thought you had to wait long for the latest Star Wars movie. 400 years, that's a long time. And the, fi- the climax finally came in the New Testament when God sent his son to save his people from their sin. And Matthew begins exactly where Malachi ends, with the genealogy of this Savior, this Messiah who was promised. And so everything written in the New Testament is based on everything that's written in the Old Testament. And this is obvious by the frequency with which the New Testament writers quote or allude to the Old Testament. Listen to some statistics here. This is interesting, I think. Do the math. It's been calculated that there are at least 1,600 New Testament citations of about 1,200 different Old Testament passages. To this total, you could add several thousand more New Testament passages that clearly allude to or reflect verses from the Old Testament. I think an even more telling statistic is that 229 of the 260 chapters in the New Testament each have at least two citations of or specific references to the Old Testament. And another 19 chapters have one instance leaving only 12 chapters in the entire New Testament without a specific reference to the Old Testament. Only 12 chapters in the New Testament don't mention the Old Testament. From another angle, it's been calculated that that 32% of the New Testament is composed of Old Testament quotations and allusions. Obviously, it was God's intention for the New Testament to be interpreted in light of the Old Testament. And so preaching the Old Testament and listening to the Old Testament, reading the Old Testament is foundational. I would even say it's indispensable to a clear, accurate understanding of of the New Testament. And so the Old Testament is powerful, the Old Testament is foundational, but thirdly also the Old Testament is theological. It's theological. Do you realize that there's some that the Old Testament teaches some doctrines that are not taught in the New Testament? The New Testament doesn't cover everything God wanted us to know about him. 
In fact, it assumes, the, Old, the New Testament assumes a lot of things. It, it assumes that we've read the Old Testament and we've already learned about God's creation in Genesis 1 and 2 and the origin of sin and the fall of man in Genesis 3 and the sovereign election of the nation of Israel, Genesis 12. The law, Exodus 20, Deuteronomy chapter 5, the incomparable greatness of God in Isaiah chapter 40, the nature of the substitutionary atonement, what we just read this morning in Isaiah 53, the first and second coming of the Messiah, and most importantly, all the groundwork that is laid in the Old Testament for the doctrine of salvation that culminates in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Again, the New Testament assumes that we know all this. Someone has said it this way, quote, the Old Testament writings are absolutely essential for us to have a balanced biblical theology. For us to neglect these books in our preaching is to abandon our congregations to theological shallowness and mediocrity. I would also add this, and this is an interesting thought, that the Old Testament is vital to avoiding heresy. I don't know about you, but I don't ever want to believe anything I shouldn't believe or teach anything that I shouldn't teach. I don't want to ever be guilty of being a heretic. And as Merrill Tenney said in in Kaiser's book, Preaching and Teaching the Old Testament, he said this, if we leave any portion of God's word unattended and without exposition, we will be providing the seedbeds for tomorrow's heresies. And so preaching from the Old Testament and listening to the Old Testament teaches us truths about God and ourselves that we could never learn anywhere else. And at the same time, it safeguards us from embracing beliefs and ideas about God and ourselves that are false, that are just not true. And so the Old Testament is, is, is theological. There's another compelling reason why we need the Old Testament, and that is the Old Testament is practical. It's practical. It addresses the practical issues of life. Now, obviously, it would be natural for those of us living in a technologically advanced society to wonder what possible relevance could be found in a collection of ancient religious writings written 3,000 4,000 years ago, I mean, what possible application could, could be found for my life today? In a book titled Reclaiming the Prophetic Mantle, the author says this, he asks the question, what do nomads have in common with suburbanites, shepherds with corporate executives, or with technicians who repair multi-port fuel-injected engines? He says, however, even though technology changes, human nature remains remarkably consistent through the centuries, and the same issues and temptations with which the ancients grappled are the points of conflict with which we struggle today. If you don't believe that, just read the book of Psalms. Just read Psalms. Uh, I mean, that is the most relatable, possibly the most relatable book in the whole Bible, the most relevant book in the whole Bible. You, you, you ride the roller coaster of, that, of the psalmist's emotions and you're like, yeah, I get this. I'm on the same roller coaster. You know what I'm talking about? And so the Old Testament speaks with an uncanny directness 
to the ethical issues making headlines in today's news, as well as the, the, the personal needs that, that you feel um, and that people all around the world feel. The Ten Commandments, for example, cover pertinent topics like worshiping other things besides God. Is that, is that relevant by any chance? Using the Lord's name in vain. You ever hear that happen at work, at school? The necessity of physical rest, respect for parents, Hint, hint, kids, that's relevant, that's practical. The sanctity of life, marital fidelity, stealing, lying, coveting. Job models how to deal with grief, pain, suffering. Anybody ever deal with any of those things? Wondering, God, what's up? Why why are you doing this? The Psalms teach us who God is and, and how to worship him. The Proverbs offer very down-to-earth advice for all sorts of situations and decisions that we face in life. Ecclesiastes explains the, the true meaning of life. The Song of Solomon explores the beauty and the joy of, of romance and marriage and sex. Lamentations, the book that we just started going through with the students here, uh, in 220, helps us express our feelings and our emotions in a sinful world where we often struggle with the curse of sin. Well, why, are, why are we dealing with it? Why am I facing all these things? Well, it's either because either you sinned or somebody sinned against you. And there's just sin everywhere we go. And, and there's sadness in that, but at the same time, there's hope in God's goodness, God's faithfulness. Someone said this, quote, nowhere does one find a greater treasure of practical guidance for the people of God than in the pages of the Old Testament. And so as we preach and teach and listen to and read the Old Testament, our greatest questions are answered and our deepest needs are are met. And I think ironically, one of, the, one of the main reasons why the Old Testament is neglected is, 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 is the difficulty of understanding and applying the Old Testament in ways that are relevant to people's lives today. One writer describes some preachers here. Hopefully, you won't think of me when I read this. Frequently, preachers ask, how do I make the Old Testament come alive for my congregation? Such a question represents a gross misunderstanding of the Old Testament. The Old Testament is a living collection of books that unapologetically addresses humanity all the way from biological urges and needs to spiritual needs and longings. Each Old Testament book deals realistically with the sinful nature of humankind. Each Old Testament book frankly acknowledges the sovereignty of God. The preacher's question is not how to make the Old Testament come alive. The preacher's question is how do I get myself out of the way in order that the pulsating life form that we call the Old Testament can move in all its power. Again, the the difficult challenge for the preacher is to, to bridge the gap this historical, uh, cultural gap between the ancient text and the contemporary audience by not only helping people understand what the text meant to its original audience, but also what it means for us today. And by the way, those aren't two different things. The text can never mean what it never meant. And so we need to understand the original meaning, but then also 
the contemporary significance. And I think too many preachers are guilty of merely presenting a theological lecture that focuses on all the lexical and syntactical and the cultural aspects of a particular passage of Scripture, and, and yet they fail to clearly explain the practical implications for people's lives today. I told the young people, if I put them to sleep teaching through the book of Lamentations, I, I basically failed in my job of making this a practical, relevant study together. I guess I just took it as a challenge in teaching a bunch of teenagers the book of Lamentations. Is that really possible? Right? I'm going to see if it's possible. Um, this is the quote that I was hoping you wouldn't think of me as I read it, not the previous one. This is the one, Walt Kaiser, uh, who said some great things about preaching. He said, nothing can be more dreary and grind the soul and spirit of the church more than a dry, lifeless recounting of biblical episodes apparently unrelated to the present. The pastor who delivers this type of sermon, reflecting his seminary exegesis class, bombards his bewildered audience with a maze of historical, philological, and critical detail so that the text drops lifeless in front of the listener, far removed from the interests and needs of the 20th century men and women. Hopefully that's not your experience here at Lakeside. Another author said this, at the same time, however, preachers must be careful not to rush to demonstrate that the biblical passage and message is relevant to the hearer's needs. Or as some prefer to describe it, that this is the tyranny of the hearer's felt needs that many preachers and teachers feel. While it is necessary and worthy goal to address the needs of the listeners, this step must be held in abeyance until the meaning of the passage has been established within its original context apart from its relevance to contemporary hearers. Now, I know now you sound like you're in a preaching class, right? But this is what they teach you in seminary. Hey, make sure you balance this thing out. Right? You need to first and foremost find the original meaning, establish that, then principalize it and apply it to the people sitting and listening to the sermon. And there's a discussion amongst preachers and pastors today about whether or not it's our responsibility to make application of the text that ultimately, you know, we don't want to encroach on the Holy Spirit's role. Uh, you know, that's the Holy Spirit's responsibility to, to apply the word, and so we don't need to do that. Um, and, and we don't want to blur the, the um, distinction between the interpretation of the text and the application of the text. Well, I agree the fact that the Holy Spirit is the one who ultimately applies the scriptures. I believe that because I've stood at the door and, and people have come out over the years and said, man, pastor, thank you so much for, for saying that this morning. I really needed to hear that. And I think to myself, I never even said that. That's something they heard the Spirit of God tell them through the message. And it's like I hand out packages to every one of you as the, pa- as the preacher, as the pastor. Every Sunday I give a, a little package, a little gift to everyone, and they all look identical. It's the same sermon packaged exactly the same way, but you walk out of here and you open it up and there's something different in every box. Why? Because the Holy Spirit applies the text to your life, but by leaving out application in a sermon, I think preachers can be guilty of only giving their people a one-way ticket to the past and assume that people can somehow make the return journey on their own. Once they explain the original meaning of a passage, they offer little or no help in exploring its contemporary significance. 
I think about Zach and I trying to navigate our way through the metro in Moscow. All we had to go, I took a picture of this map that the lady at our hotel had and took a picture of it and it was just this you know, maze of colors and everything in Russia, Russian, and we were supposed to figure it, and, and you, ask, hey, you ask people, do you speak English? And they would smile at you and go, like, yeah, whatever. And so we're, we're left to say, okay, we got to match up this with that sign up there, and we got to go on the green thing to the brown thing, and we got to count three stops, because we couldn't understand anything that was, we were trying, we were lost. And thankfully, God helped us figure out our way, but the point is this, that, that preaching that communicates the message of the Old Testament as relative, or not relatively, but as relevantly and authoritatively as it was communicated to the nation of Israel requires pastors and preachers to guide their hearers on a round-trip journey. So basically what my job is to say, hey, let's go back to the time of Babylon and let's look at this guy named Daniel and let's see what was going on here in that historical uh, cultural situation and, and, and make sure we understand what, what God was saying to Daniel, what was God doing in Daniel's life. And now let's, now let's return home with some principles to apply to our lives today. That's the job of a pastor. That's the job of a preacher. And so it's all that to say that the Old Testament is very practical, very practical. And then, and then finally, the Old Testament is Christological. The Old Testament is Christological. In other words, the Old Testament is all about Christ. You say, well, it never mentions Jesus Christ. Yeah, but it all leads up to Jesus Christ, right? And besides, Jesus Christ is the central theme of the whole Bible, not just the New Testament. And the promise of Christ's coming is the heart of the message of the Old Testament. Someone has calculated that there are some 456 Old Testament texts that refer either directly to the Messiah or to the messianic times that were to come. Right? Jesus himself used the Old Testament, as I mentioned earlier, to prove that he was the promised Messiah. His disciples followed his example and, and boldly proclaimed that Jesus was the Messiah since the events surrounding his life, his death, his resurrection happened exactly as the Old Testament had predicted. You listen to the sermons of Peter, his first two sermons in Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 3, um, also Stephen's sermon in Acts chapter 7. They all refer to the Old Testament. They're like, hey, let, let me tell you why Jesus is who he said he was, because this is what the Old Testament says was, what would happen, and this is what he would be like, and that's exactly who Jesus was, and that's exactly what Jesus did. Paul's primary defense of his ministry of proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ was, was the simple claim that everything he said was clearly based on the teaching of the Old Testament. In fact, in his inter- introduction to, to Romans, Paul firmly grounded his, his, the greatest treatise ever written on the gospel on the Old Testament, Romans chapter 1. Verses 1 and 2, Paul, a bondservant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. In other words, the gospel wasn't a New Testament idea. This was nothing new. This has been talked about ever since the book of Genesis. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul says this, for I delivered to you as of first importance 
what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Again, Paul's referring to the Old Testament here. The gospel was based on the teaching of the Old Testament. So clearly, the Old Testament served as an invaluable tool for the New Testament writers to lead people to repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. Again, the, the gospel they preached was not just a New Testament concept, but, but one that was rooted and grounded in the Old Testament. And therefore, preaching the Old Testament and listening to the Old Testament provides a, a fuller understanding of the gospel, the good news of salvation in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And so we've seen this morning that the Old Testament is powerful, it's foundational, it's theological, it's practical, it's Christological. And when we come to grips with these realities, the Old Testament will, will, will be returned to its rightful place in all of our lives where we can be regularly nourished and encouraged and, and transformed by it. I was thinking about our Bible reading plan in the back. I thought, you know, that, that guides you through the Old Testament once and the New Testament twice and Psalms twice, I believe, and, and Proverbs 12 times. I thought that may be a little much for people. I might take you a little more time every day than you've got. Well, you'd be well served if all you did was read the Old Testament in 2016. You'd be well nourished. Your life would be transformed. Of all the New Testament writers, no one more thoroughly was trained in the Old Testament than Paul. He was a a Pharisee of Pharisees, right? And so he knew the scriptures, the Old Testament scriptures, very, very well. So it shouldn't surprise us that he, more than anyone else, called attention to the practicality and the profitability of the Old Testament. And he emphasized how the Old Testament was written to provide us with historical examples, both to follow and to avoid and to instruct us and encourage us and cause us to persevere and, and give us hope. For example, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 6, he says, Now these things happen as examples for us, so that we would not crave evil things as they also crave. Talking about the nation of Israel. Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and stood up to play. Nor let us act immorally as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in one day. Nor let us try the Lord as some of them did and were destroyed by the serpents. Nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Verse 11, he says, Now these things happened to them as an example, and they were written for our instruction upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Paul's saying all that stuff in the Old Testament was written for our instruction upon whom the end of the ages have come. In Romans chapter 15, verse 4, he said one of the most encouraging things about the Old Testament's impact on our lives, he says, for whatever was written in earlier times, i.e. the Old Testament, was written for our instruction so that through perseverance and the encouragement of the scriptures, i.e. the Old Testament, we might have hope. 
You see, I thought hope was just in the New Testament. I thought everything in the Old Testament was kind of depressing and sad and it's all about God's judgment. And No, there's hope in the Old Testament scriptures. And as I told the young people this morning, of all places in the book of Lamentations, which is a funeral service, where a guy's just crying the whole time, lamenting, mourning, grieving, and there's hope that God's mercies are new every morning. Great is his, what, faithfulness, right? I'll close with a a quote from Walt Kaiser that I hope will be our experience as we launch into the study of the book of Daniel together next week. He said, therefore, to cut the church off from the Old Testament would be to let the church float in the air, rootless and without a history or an anchor in space and time. The church must be connected with the promises made to Israel in the past. To preach these words faithfully is to unleash for God's people direction, comfort, and a hope that surpasses every other expectation that mortals could ever imagine or aspire to on planet Earth. Let us teach the whole counsel of God with a joy and passion that comes from above and many times a refreshing and revival may break out all over the land once again to the glory of God. Let's pray. Father, we hope and pray, Lord, that that will be our experience, that as we launch into a study of the book of Daniel, the first Old Testament book we've ever tackled on a Sunday morning, with the entire body being present, that at times of refreshing and revival would break out all over this church for your glory. Lord, we have much to learn. Seems like we know so little. The Bible is so big. And uh, a lifetime is, is not enough time to study it all and to master it all. But Lord, we desire to be faithful students, Lord, of your holy word. And so I pray as we, as we begin this study together that you would teach us some things that maybe we've never learned before. You would remind us of some things that we may have already learned but forgotten and, and need to be have refreshed in our minds. And Lord, I pray that you would use your word to correct us, to equip us, to prepare us, Lord, for what lies ahead in in our country and in our world. Lord, we all have a sense that um, your return is, is coming quickly. And we need to be ready for that. And in the meantime, we need to occupy until you come. And we need to live lives of integrity and who stand strong in, in a, a, a culture, a pagan culture that continues to deteriorate around us. And so, Lord, as we um, tackle this, this great Old Testament book of Daniel, Lord, that we would see how, how foundational, how powerful, how theological, how practical, even how Christological, Lord, the book of Daniel is, 
and that our lives would never be the same. And so bless us, Lord, as we launch it out together in this new study for your glory. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.